The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Let's take our Bibles and open them to 1 Timothy chapter 1. I have several verses for our text, but we're not going to read that is listed for our text, but we're not going to read all of these. We're not going to go any further than uh, verse number 1 this evening. Uh, did I say 1 Timothy 1 or 1 Timothy 3? Okay, it should be 1 Timothy 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Just, just the first verse is all we're going to deal with this evening. Uh, and in this verse, the Apostle Paul said, This is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. Now, this message is a part of our study, the Baptist acrostic, and we're discussing the last letter, that is the letter, letter T, that completes the word. And this letter stands for two offices in the church, or two officers of the church, that there are only two officers of leadership, and those are pastors and deacons. We are opposed to the prelatical church government idea, which most often has a hierarchy of bishops, a graded ministry that rules groups of churches, instead of one bishop or pastor that has no authority in any church but the church of which he is a member. We believe that every church is a body of Christ in its locality, that it is autonomous, that it is free from outside interference of anyone, and we do not have a bishop over us who is not a part of this body. Now, our belief on that subject is not an arbitrary one, even though there are many Christians who disagree with that and have other forms of church government. We don't choose this belief arbitrarily. Uh, in the Baptist acrostic, we have learned that we rely on biblical authority, and since we can't find any scriptural evidence for a graded ministry, we find no other qualifications for any other office than we conclude from that that we are to only have pastors and deacons in the leadership of the church. Now, I mentioned last time that that's not the way that it always was because you go back into the first century and you did have other offices. Uh, the church was in the process of development and the foundation for the church was laid by other men, apostles, Christian prophets, evangelists, and so on, that held positions in the church. But since the first century, those offices have all been gone, and they've been gone since the completion of the Word of God. Now, in those times, the apostles ruled all of the churches until they had given them the doctrines of the church that they were to believe and practice, and they wrote those doctrines down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, then they gave them to the church as Scripture. And then when John finished the Revelation, the Bible was complete, the foundations were laid and there is no or was no more need for these other offices. At the end of Revelation, this is what John wrote, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add to these things, God shall add unto him the plagues which are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. And so when the word was complete, the doctrine was complete, anything that's added to Scripture beyond that point is spurious, 
It's to be disregarded as doctrine for the church. Our only authority is the word. So hierarchical forms of church government are additions to the word. They don't have any authority. Now, in our last message, we read this first verse. If any man desire the office of a bishop. And that opened us up into a discussion of the terms that are used for the office. There are three terms in the scriptures that are used to describe this one office. That's pastor, elder, and bishop. All three of those refer to the same man, but there are different aspects of his office. Pastor means shepherd, which refers to the teaching, nurturing, caring, and loving aspect of the pastor's work. He is the leader of the flock. He's the shepherd. As Christ was a shepherd of the flock who cared for the sheep. And in a spiritual sense, that's what the pastor does. He cares for the sheep by giving them, feeding them the word of God. Pastor is the most intimate of these three terms. It's a relational term. It speaks of the closeness of the man to the people. And that is the favorite term. Uh, so it's rare that anyone would call me Bishop Smith. You could call me that, but I might not recognize that you're talking to me. I don't prefer that term. The next term is elder. Some pastors freely use the term elder. That's not uncommon among Baptists to see on their signs, on many, many people, many churches' signs, elder of the church, and the elder, that's the pastor's name, and they like to be called by that. That's a less common term. Uh, elder refers to the respect that's due to the office uh, because of the man's wisdom. It's the esteem, the honor that's given to him. Uh, while you might call the pastor an elder, as I said, that's fine. It's an okay usage. But I don't like that term either because if you call me elder, that just makes me feel a whole lot older than I am. And then uh, Titus, uh, in Titus, Paul gave him instructions to ordain elders in every city. Now, he didn't necessarily mean Titus go look for old, old men that can pastor the church. But he meant to look for respected men, look for men who have devoted themselves to the ministry of the word, men that are gifted for ministry, the study, they've done all that. And so these were men that were known for their abilities and the good reputation that they had among the people. Then the third term for the office is bishop. That sounds really liturgical, sounds very high churchy. And since we're Baptists who are very low churchy, we don't often use bishop. Uh, we're non-liturgical for, for the most part. So we don't use that term. But it does refer to another aspect of the office. It refers to the respect and the responsibility, the, or the authority and responsibility of the office, I should say. The bishop is an administrator. He's an overseer. And that's actually what the word means, episkopos. It means an overseer. So he's responsible before the Lord to conduct the affairs of the church. So in those three terms, we have these three different aspects of the office. They don't refer to three separate persons. We just have the one office, and the pastor that's chosen must have the qualifications and the abilities to cover all of those works as he pastors the church. Well, this evening, we want to move on to another area of discussion, and this is the selection to the office. And you might need to take some notes on this. Because even though I might not like to be called elder, I am getting older. And one of these days, who knows how long it will be, I won't be here any longer. And so you're going to need this kind of information as a church body to know how to choose another man to pastor, to be the pastor of this church. You need to know this information. This is part of the reason why I teach these things. So the church will be well apprised of what to do when that time comes. 
There is to be a leader. There's to be a primary leader in the church. But the question is, by what means do we attain that leader? How does, this, how does the man attain this responsibility, the position of a pastor? How does he do that? Well, he doesn't drop out of the sky. That doesn't happen, although some have said, you know, you're like an angel that's sent from heaven. But I didn't drop out of the sky. Uh, some pastors act like they're from Mars. Some think they're, they're holier than heaven itself, and they want to be, they want to be uh, adored like God's other son. Men are from Mars, women are from Venus, you've heard all that, but there are some pastors who are from never, never, never land, fantasy land somewhere. So how does a church get a pastor? There are actually different ideas. You don't go to monster.com and look at resumes for a pastor. You don't go to a pastor store and pick out one. Neither do we contact a denominational headquarters somewhere and say, well, now it's time to send us another man. Would you get somebody over here? We don't do that. Now, since we believe in local church autonomy, we believe that it is the church itself that's responsible to find and to train, to raise up and to polish up, to recognize the gift of some man that God would have to be appointed over the ministry of the church. In Titus 1 verse 5 that I referred to a moment ago, Paul told Titus, ordain elders. But that didn't mean that Titus had the sole authority to do it. He was to assist in this, and he was to help to install these men in their office. So Titus helped the church find qualified men. He looked for men that were capable. Paul instructed him to to help the churches pick the men and induct them into the office. Now, as I've said before, that time of the apostles was very unique. So the apostles would, perhaps, maybe, no doubt, had some input into the men that were selected for those offices. But we don't have apostles today. And so we don't have anybody to tell us what to do here, that we have to do something or the other. This is left to the church to complete the process of finding someone to pastor the church. So the church is autonomous. It alone has the authority to choose its leaders. And Paul's instructions when he said to to, uh, Titus to ordain elders in every city did not mean, well, you, you, you go pick out a bunch from over here somewhere. You go find some men somewhere. Bring them with you and bring them to the churches. Put them in the church as the pastors. Take somebody halfway across the world to make them the pastor of the church. That's not the way that they did it. They chose their pastors from among the membership of the people. Now, in the first and following centuries, that was the ordinary and customary way for a pastor to be selected. He came from the membership of that church. And that's the thing that made the most sense, because this would be a man that knew the people best. One of their own would be one who had built-in relationships. One of their own would know peculiar problems and personalities of the people. One of their own was very easy to vet. They knew his character. They knew if he was worthy of confidence. Now, unfortunately, that's not the method that's commonly used today. Sometimes we do have homegrown pastors, but that's not often. And so we go outside of the church. Now we look for someone who uh, comes with recommendations from other people. Sometimes churches will steal away a pastor from another church. And often, pastors will use churches as stepping stones to get a bigger church, one that's more prestigious, you might say. Well, I can tell you I don't like that method. I don't think that that's right. It's one of the reasons that pastors don't stay for very long because they're always trying to move on up to the east side to get a bigger piece of the pie. 
And, and so they don't stay in small churches very long. Now, I remember that when my dad uh, felt called, uh, God called him to leave the, the church that we were in, the church he'd pastored for 11 years. We were in a country church. And uh, in that church, uh, the church was growing. It was thriving, um, bursting at the seams. And then my, my dad felt that he was called to go to another church. And he was always concerned about this, that he was going to a church that was in the city. A church in the city had called him to pastor. He's always concerned about this. What are people going to think? Are they going to think that, well, he served his requisite time in the country church, and now he's moving on up to the big church in the city? But it wasn't like that at all. He took a step down. The first Sunday in our new church, there were 13 people that were present. Six of them were our family. And we left... We left a building, a nice building on several acres where I grew up in church. We left a very nice building to go to a basement. No structure on top of it. It was a basement that had a flat roof on it. So we actually met in a hole in the ground. And we did that for many years. So there was no step up there. Churches aren't supposed to be stepping stones. But we've gotten away from that New Testament model. Pastors don't stay for very long and... Instead of choosing pastors from among our congregations, we just go someplace else to find them. And I understand sometimes why we have to do that, because we just can't find someone in the church that could take on that responsibility. Now, I like what our friends did at Sovereign Grace Baptist Church in Modesto. Pastor Bill Heinrich founded that church, and he pastored it for many years. But as he began to get older, he started to groom a young man to take over the ministry for him. He, he trained this young man. He raised him up in the ministry, sent him off to seminary. And then just a few years ago, I, I had the privilege of sitting on the ordination council of Johnny Sloan, who later became the pastor of that church. One of the reasons uh, Pastor Heinrich asked me to come was because, and I'll talk about this in just a few minutes, because there were so few pastors that he could get to come and sit for that ordination who believed in the doctrines of grace. And he wanted to be sure that when the questions were asked, that he would be asked on the doctrines of grace and what he believed about those, and those would be brought out. So he asked me if I would come and sit on that ordination council. And we had a good time because we did bring out those particular doctrines. Now, you may not realize this, how hard that it's going to be. Now, now don't get the wrong idea. I'm not dying. I, I don't have some kind of disease. I'm not dying. I'm just informing you here. You don't have any idea, I think, how hard that it's going to be to find a pastor who teaches the doctrines of grace. It's going to be very difficult to, to do that because we who believe in the doctrines of grace have a completely different worldview. The mindset of the doctrines of grace is different from that of Arminianism. And for about a 100 years now, Baptists have departed doctrinal roots, and now you find Baptists who call themselves Biblicist. Biblicist is a code term for a Baptist pastor who is ashamed to call himself an Arminian. It's a code term for Arminian. I mean, what else would it be? You have a man who believes 80% Arminian doctrine. And so it's very hard today to find uh, a man who finds his way into this narrow path of the doctrines of grace, of the perpetuity of the Baptist church and what we might call a measured fundamentalism. 
that there's a balance between all of those. There just aren't many of them out there. But in any case, someday a new pastor for the church must be chosen, and you need to know how to choose the man. And I hope that what God will do will raise up one of these young men, even sitting here tonight, who, who God will call and say, oh, I, I, I'm going to make him a pastor. I'm going to make him a preacher and a pastor. And I, I would just love to see that happen in our church. Uh, I just, you know, what happened to me is when I was 18 years old, I, I started building a library. I got immersed into the study of God's Word. I didn't get where I am today by playing video games. I, I was studying. But, but that visit may, may there, there is a, a selection process for the pastor. The local church does it. There's not a synod. There's not a presbytery. There's not a council. There are, not prelate, there are no prelates. There's not a denomination that we go to. Nobody can put a pastor over us but the people, just the people of this church. But I would like to make a comment uh, to you, um, maybe a comment or two about my ascension to the office 14 years ago. At that time, there was another church who tried to interfere with our process. Uh, some of you that were here, uh, some, m many of you weren't here. Some of you that were here may not even have known that this was going on behind the scenes. But there was another church that did try to influence the process, and quite frankly, what they did was out of bounds. And there, there's no church that has the authority to interfere and I'm not going to go into all of that now. I'm just telling you, you've got to be careful about what's out there and about what you do. The Lord prevailed. The Lord protected the church. And I won't say all about these things, but that was a very critical time for various reasons. It's all right for a church to seek advice, but we don't need anybody to make our decisions. Now, the selection of a pastor is a, is a momentous occasion for the church. I mean, you see how demanding that the scriptures are about it. You can continue reading there in this third chapter, which we'll, we'll get to over several messages in these next weeks. And you'll see how, how strenuous, how demanding that the qualifications of a pastor are. And you see how much authority that a pastor has. And some of you are now very experienced in how a pastor can change a church through his teachings. That's not necessarily a bad thing when a church is found out to be wrong. And when a pastor is wrong, things do need to change. But you do need to be aware of this, that because of a pastor's authority, a pastor that has bad doctrine can also change a church in a very short period of time. Now, I've been through that. I've been through this, where a man twisted a good church and took it away from its moorings. It breaks my heart that a church that I put 33 years of work into. My dad put 29 years of work into before he retired. I mean, it breaks my heart. There was a bad pastor that came to the church, and now the church is gone. The building that we met in, beautiful building on seven acres of land, nice modern building. That building is now a sick gudwara instead of a Baptist church. So the pastor, if the pastor's off, the doctrine of the church will be off. Now, I, I don't know, maybe some of you are smiling on the inside and you're thinking, boy, did we ever go off. That might be what you're thinking, but I hope not. And I'll tell you that out of 14 years that I've been the pastor of the church, it took probably 8 to 10 years for me to get comfortable that our doctrine had full support. As far as I know now, I don't have any 
significant pockets of resistance against our doctrine. I'm thankful for that. But then moving on from that, the, the choice of a pastor is huge. You have to be careful about the doctrine. You also have to be careful about a pastor's temperament. There's a, a strain of independent fundamental Baptists who are just wrong about the authority of pastors. Pastors are not dictators. Pastors are not little popes in their holy Baptist empire. A pastor is not the Lord of the church. And people shouldn't be afraid of the pastor. Now we'll talk more about this at a later time, but I'll get a small point uh, in on this now. Because of the power that pastors had, pe have people do become afraid of them. And when that happens, it just fuels the fire to create more power. People won't challenge the pastor because of they've been taught wrongly about his authority. And so these are people that languish in the church. They never say anything. They're just dumb sheep that sit and let and be run over by men who abuse their authority and abuse, they abuse the power. And if they don't do that, if they don't languish there, they leave or they're made to leave by a pastor who makes them leave and he just goes on the way that he always did. Now, some of this is inherent in the systems that we use. I mean, it just grows out of it. The, the systems employed, the bylaws, the, the respect for the office, makes it very, very hard for a pastor to be removed. There's good reasons for that. So inherent in the system, uh, power can be abused. So then in the selection of the pastor, you have to be very careful about that. You don't know what an outsider is going to do. If you don't, this is one of the best reasons to try to find somebody in the church. You just don't know what an outsider is going to do. There are some of these kids, young men, that come out of the colleges that end up in, in our churches today that have these latent power cells in their brain. And then when they get into the office of the pastorate, they abuse it and they become just like the way that they've been taught. So you have to be careful about that. It's better to groom some from within, someone from within. That's what the early church did. So the selection of a pastor has to be very well thought out. It has to be prayed about. The man that's chosen had, had better hit on all cylinders because they might, the church might have him for a very, very long time. When I became pastor, I refused any decision about becoming a pastor until weeks of prayer had been put into it. You can judge whether the right decision was made. I'll just leave that to you. Now, let me move on here to the particulars of the selection of the man for the office. And there, there are actually, uh, uh, what I'm going to point out in the messages is three necessary callings when you choose a pastor. And it's taken me a long time to get to this point, so I'm just going to make it through one of these tonight. And this is an inward call. That a pastor has an inward call. Paul said, if a man desires the office of a bishop, that he desires a good work. Why would a man desire the office of a bishop? Now, after doing this for all these years, I think maybe I should have looked at that scripture a little more carefully and considered it quite a bit more and asked seriously, why would a man desire the office of a bishop? Now, unfortunately, there are men who desire the office for all some of the reasons that I just mentioned to you. There's power involved. Uh, some men like power. There's a certain amount of power that goes with the office. And in Baptist churches, we know that's true. Some men just want to be at the head. And the qualifications for the office listed in verse number 6, Paul mentions pride. That's going to be a, a subject of a later message. 
when we get into individual qualifications, but there are men that become, well, all men are prone to this, to become easily prideful. And if you start out that way, you're going to be in big trouble. You see, a pastor has a lot of people that look to him. It's like the centurion that Jesus uh, healed his servant. You remember what that centurion said? He said, I'm a man with authority. I tell this person to go there, and he goes there. I tell him to do this, and he does it. I'm a man with authority. And, of course, I won't go into that, but Jesus uh, was amazed in, in one sense of the word at how he understood Jesus' authority. That's another subject. People will do things for a pastor. A pastor gets to call the shots, and for some people that's the favorite part of the job. Now, some of these guys that are pastors, you put them out there in the workforce into a secular job, they're not going to have an ounce of power. They're not going to be able to tell anybody to do anything. They're not going to have something like 150 employees under them that they just order and tell them where to go. And so a pastor, if he wants power then maybe the pastor, it's a way to get that. People will willingly do what the pastor says. So power might cause a, a person to seek the office. That's a man who shouldn't be in the office. Uh, it's certainly not the biblical model, nor is that man treating the office in a godly manner. Now, another reason that men choose to become pastors of churches or get into ministry is because it's a career choice. I mean, it's just simply a career that happens a lot of times in denominational churches that are men that are looking for a career, and this is the path that they choose. Just like they would look for a secular job, they think, well, you know, the ministry, that, that might be a good job to get into. And so they have their list of careers that they're choosing as their options, and then career day comes at high school, and they sure do hope that somebody from a seminary shows up and recruits them to show them how that they can get into ministry. And then, of course, you have just the plain old shysters. You have the pettifoggers, as they say, that are looking for a golden opportunity to fleece the flock. And with the rise of the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, men are in the ministry because there is a lot of money to be made. You have men like Creflo Dollar, mentioned him this morning. Uh, men like him and his ilk live in, live in mansions. They have fleet of cars. Uh, Creflo Dollar flies in an $80 million Gulfstream jet. I'd say he made a pretty good career choice, wouldn't you? And then there's still another reason that some desire the office of a bishop. And I love this one. This is one of my favorites. And that is, that's an easy job. That's a sweet job, man. There's a lot of freedom in that. There's leisure time. You've got to prepare maybe one, two sermons a week, and then you're done. And most churches have one sermon a week. Sunday, that's it. So you get done. Now you have all the rest of the week to chill or kill. So that one sermon, that's easy. And really all that you need to do is just download it from the Internet if you want to. So you're in good shape there. You know, I knew a pastor that had a drawer full of sermons. And I went over to see him one Sunday afternoon. I was talking to him in his office. And he said, you know, um, I, I've got to get something ready to preach tomorrow. So I was thinking, all right, our meeting's over. The pastor's got to get busy studying. But no, no. He just reached over the desk, pulled out the bottom drawer, picked out a sermon and said, well, this looks pretty good. I'll just do this one tomorrow. And we continued our conversation. Well, if a pastorate is like that and the pay is good and there's a little bit of prestige that goes along with it, then why not? Why not become a professional preacher? Pastors can have all these things. All these things come with it today. Little to do, a lot of leftover time, 
a good check that goes with it. That's a dream job for somebody to have. Oh, it is. But that's not a New Testament pastor. That's a modern pretender who has merchandised the gospel for his own profit and personal gain. What did a New Testament pastor look like? Well, there wasn't much money to be made in it because most, most Christians were slaves. Paul said that God chose not many mighty, not many noble, not many wise are chosen, that God chose the base things of the world. And so this is what God made, built his church out of. He built it out of obscure people, out of the off-scouring of the world. The church was built with oppressed people, with slaves, with the downtrodden, with people that were hated. There wasn't any money to be made. There's no prestige in it. Now, so what if you ruled over a few people? You know, there was only one mega church in the New Testament. That was the church at Jerusalem. And that lasted just a very, very short amount of time. Persecution scattered them to the winds. And so, prestige? What are you talking about? Not in a New Testament church in the first century. Ministers were hated by the world. They didn't put on a little collar and some vestments and walk around town while people whispered behind them, Woo, what a man that is. What a great man that he is. I was in the airport coming home from Kentucky, and uh, there was a, a priest that was waiting to get on the plane, and he had his frock on, and he had his little collar, and, and uh, his robes all the way down to the floor. And I don't know why I was looking at this, but I was kind of watching him. He was going. He kind of turned the wrong way, and the guy didn't have any pants on. I mean, his, his, uh, his robe came open, and there I saw his hairy leg. But anyway... Uh, um, in, the, in the New Testament times... You didn't have anything like that. I mean, they weren't even like the they weren't even like the uh, the Jewish rabbis who put on their long robes and then just stood on street corners to be seen. No, n- not a New Testament pastor. A Baptist pastor was not going to be applauded for his preaching. A pastor was more likely to be killed because if you cut off the head, you kill the body. You look at James in Acts chapter twelve. Herod took him. And killed him. He found out that pleased the Jews. What did he proceed to do next? Well, let's go get Peter. Let's kill him too. And Peter would have been killed except for an angel came and delivered him. So we're not talking about power here. We're talking about things. Those kinds of things happen to the apostles. These are the highest order of the church that has ever been. That's what happened to them. There's no power. Now within the church, they have respect. But what you don't see in the New Testament is with the apostles and preachers abusing their congregations. Peter said, pastors can't be lords of the church. So he shot down the whole idea of a Baptist pope. Apostles, pastors were servants of Christ. They were co-laborers with the people. There was no lordship. Now there's an example we have in the Bible of a man who tried. That's in Third John. A man by the name of Diotrephes wanted to be the preeminent one in the church. He wanted to be the potentate, but he was rebuked and taken down by John. Now, the point is that going into the ministry in those days really did prompt the question, why would a man desire the office of a bishop? Now, admittedly, we fare better today. Back then, it was double-double toil and trouble if you became a pastor. But we fare a little bit better today. But I can tell you, for the hours that are put in, for the trouble that you deal with, for the headaches and the frustrations and... And sometime later, I'll, we'll talk about this as well. And that's, that's the mistreatment sometimes of church members. Sometimes a pastor thinks, I would never 
wish this job on my worst enemy. So why does a man desire the office of a bishop? And here is the reason. It's an inward call. It's an impression, an impression that the Holy Spirit puts on the heart. The church can't initiate that. The church doesn't have the power to put it into a man's heart to desire the work. And quite frankly, plainly, the desire is not in every Christian man's heart. It's, it's not inherent in our salvation that a man would desire to become a pastor. Um, I remember many years ago when I was younger that people told me, well, you ought to be a preacher. I remember the tobacco-chewing lady Sunday school teacher that I had when I was five years old, and she pinched my cheeks, and she said, you're going to grow up to be a preacher just like your daddy. She didn't initiate my call. There's no others that can initiate the call. The call to the ministry starts before the church knows it. It starts when the Holy Spirit impresses the heart of a man with a desire that is so strong that he begins the pursuit. It's something that he wouldn't otherwise have. Now, the call does not begin in salvation, but it does begin in salvation in a certain way. And that God, that is that God knows what he's going to do with the person before he saves them. God has an intention for the people that he saves. That intent's not the same for all men. And that's why I say it's not a call that's inherent in salvation. God knows what he's going to do uh, before he chooses a person. The Apostle Paul wasn't saved when he started out on the road to Damascus. And um, he was lost as a goose as he was traveling on the road. And, and while he was on the way, he got saved. And he was called to preach at the same time. But most pastors don't receive the call to preach at the same time of salvation. At least the desire is not there yet. That develops. God develops in him. Later he begins to work. And then he's in the church. And then he has that desire to preach. Paul said that he was called from his mother's womb. But he didn't even know that, did he? He didn't know that God had called him to be a gospel preacher when he was in the mother's womb or any time or for a long time after that. It wasn't until he's on the road to Damascus that he finds out what God had called him from his mother's womb to do. And that scripture is about as convincing as you can get about the effectual call of the Holy Spirit. So the call at this point is inward. Nobody knows what's going on in the man, but God and the man. The church can't do it. God calls every Christian to some kind of service, but not every Christian receives this call. It is a special call. It's the high calling to leadership that's unlike anything a man can do. Now, you often have people who say, well, I feel I've got a calling in my life. I'm intended to do something. They believe they're intended to do something good. This is not that kind of call. This is not the kind of call that you figured out as you go along and you hit on the thing that works and now you've found your calling in life. No, that's not what this is. This is God speaking directly to the heart. And when he speaks to the heart, it often goes contrary to everything that you want to do. But the desire becomes so strong that you're not going to do anything but this. You must preach Christ. The Apostle Paul, when he was called by God, had no intentions of preaching the Christ that he persecuted. But God changed all desires to this desire through the inward call. So the desire to serve God is in a very special way. I, I can tell you uh, in my case that uh, I was content to do what I was doing for many years. 
I, I've always worked in the church. I never pushed myself to be tops in the church. I was content where God put me at the time. When I came to Berean, I was content with what I did, but I did know this, that for all of my adult life, I was at or near the center of everything that goes on in the church. I was always close to situations. I was always aware of things. From the time that I was 25 years old, I was in church leadership, close to the heartbeat of everything that goes on the church, in the church. And when I came here, I still had the desire. I didn't know any of you. But I still had the desire. I had no intentions to come to a church and sit in the pew. No intentions not to be busy and some get into some form of leadership in the church. That's just, just not my nature. I, God built me that way. I need to know what's going on. And quite frankly, this was a ministry that was engulfed in many shadows. And at the time that I thought that I was close to what was going on, I was really a long way off. I didn't really know what was going on. And it wasn't until I became the pastor that I found out some amazing things. Maybe some things that if I found out before would have kept me from joining this church. But God knows those things. And God kept me from the knowledge of many of those things until it was time that he said, now you're going to be the pastor of that church. And then I learned to, to work through those things and to make the ministry open and honest to the people. And I fought this perception of our ministry here for a long, long time that things are not honest. And so what I, would, what I did for, for years, I would not go into my office and shut the door because I looked at that shut door for too many years and that to me spelled secrecy. What goes on behind the door? And so I wouldn't shut the door. A pastor doesn't need to be behind a closed door. He needs to be close to the people. But I digress. There comes, a, there comes a time when a man knows that it is his time. God speaks to the heart. No matter what else he's doing, it's not going to satisfy him. And so he has to take up the calling. Now, for me, I, I can tell you it wasn't to gain money. When I became pastor of the church, I took a 50% cut in pay. Uh, I knew that God wanted me to do this. I made more money in the 1980s than I do now. And I'm talking real dollars, not inflationary dollars. I'm not a martyr because I've done that. And I'm not trying to make you think that I did something great. No, it's the Lord's work that's great. This is the thing that drives you. When you have this, nothing else matters. Now you look at that first verse again. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. And when you read Paul in 2 Corinthians 11, you wonder, why would he say this? When you read his mistreatment by the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians, you think, why did he say this? When you see him, see him fighting for respect in Galatians chapter 1, you wonder, why did he say this? In Philippians, he's in prison. He's not angry about it because he said, Christ needs to be magnified in my death or in my life. And he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Or we see him in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 52 in the arena with wild animals at Ephesus. How does Paul say that a man who desires the office of a bishop desires a good work? You don't know. You don't understand until God calls. And there isn't anything that a pastor likes better than to hear like what Jorge said at the door a few weeks ago. He said this to me. He said, I'm fascinated with preaching. How do you do it? 
And I often wonder the very same thing. With amazement, I wonder how do we do this? The same question crosses my mind many, many times. As feeble as I am in these messages, as badly as they come across, I'm not even sufficient for the weakness of the worst sermon that I preach. I finish working on many messages uh, during the day. I, I'm always praying, you know, before I do this, and I, and I finish a message, and I just sit back, and I look at it, and I say, how did I do that? I mean, why, why did those things come to me? Why, why, why is, I, I, am I able to put that together? And I realize that's not my strength. I can't do this by myself. Uh, I, I can't do it. It has to be a divine call. I'm not special. The calling is special. And I'm not sufficient. God is sufficient for this. So a man desires the office because of that call. And if he's the one who initiates it and desires it for any other purpose than this, the glory of Jesus Christ and for Christ alone, he's a failure. He may not be a failure in the eyes of the world because... Who could say that these many men that, who rake in millions of dollars being in the ministry are failures? Not to the world, they're not. So maybe not in the eyes of men, but God knows the heart. He, that man knows that he can't stand before God. Why? Because God didn't call him. He stands before them to fool people. He doesn't have an ounce of spiritual fortitude that could possibly make him believe that he could stand in front of God and give an account for what he's done. This is where it starts. The church gets a pastor because of an inward call. The church has nothing to do with that part of it. Only God does this. Now, I'm going to stop with that. There are two more calls. The church is going to get involved. It's not just that I felt an inward call and said, Hey, guess what? I'm presenting myself. I'm your pastor. That didn't happen. There is an inward call. And then the church is going to get involved. We're going to talk about that and the other, other things that qualify a pastor, but we don't have time tonight. So we'll come back to this. It's going to be, um, I think, maybe three weeks, actually, before we get back to it. Uh, what else does it take for a Baptist church to get a leader? Well, the way it's done is a Bible thing. And because it's a Bible thing, that makes it a Baptist thing. So we'll learn how to choose a leader for our church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time spent together tonight. And, Lord, all of the counsel of your word needs to be declared. Everything that's written in the word is a subject for us to talk about. Now it's our time to talk about pastors. And we shall do that. And, Lord, we, we pray that you're pleased with the information that's given, that hearts would be open to learn these things. And someday a pastor will need to be chosen again. And the church needs to be strong, standing upon the word of God, having a biblical perspective of it, how it should be done, what to look for, and, of course, bathed in much prayer before a man is chosen. So, Lord, I, I do pray that you would start working on us now, maybe even start preparing that young man that we could raise up out of our own church who become a pastor here and continue the ministry that we've had that would teach the doctrines of grace and just stay here and do it for 20, 30 years, however long that it takes lord we just pray that you would raise up somebody to that we can train to do this give us somebody in jesus name we pray amen thank you for listening to this presentation of the berean baptist church of ronert park california if you would like further information about our church 
please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.